Good morning. I was expecting to see this whole crowd here an hour early, but uh, evidently you set your clocks back, uh, or whatever you did. <clears throat> anyway, Pastor Daniel, Sadie, and 43 people are over in Israel, and uh, so in preparation for them to be gone, Pastor Daniel asked me if I'd share the word today, and we're in the book of Acts, all the way up to Acts 19, if you'd like to turn there. Uh, we're talking about the Acts of the Apostles, which really are Acts of the Holy Spirit, and what he was doing among the church and uh, bringing wonderful things all over the country, all over the world. Uh, and so Paul went on at least three missionary journeys. The fourth one took him to Rome to prison, and he never got back to Jerusalem or Antioch from there. But I have a slide for you to show you the third missionary journey, which is where we're at right now. Uh, he left Antioch, which he called really kind of his home church. Uh, that's where he checked in every time he came back. And then he went up north through Galatia there and uh, through a few of those smaller churches. And then he went over to Ephesus, which is uh, that long line that leans right down near the water there. This is where we're at in Acts 19. We're in Ephesus. And he spent some considerable time there. It was at least three years that he spent there in Ephesus. Many times he would go into a place and spend two or three weeks, maybe a month, and then go on from there. But in Ephesus, it was special. If you remember back in, uh, in his second journey, uh, he wanted to go down to Ephesus, and God says, no, don't want you to go there. So he said, I want to go to Bithynia, and uh, he was ready to go over there, and God says, no, go down to Troas. And there he got the vision of going over to Philippi, uh, and uh, there he established the Philippian church, an amazing church happened there, and then he goes on from there around and back home. And so today we have him in Ephesus. And so if you turn to Acts 19, we're gonna read a little bit of the scripture there. I've divided it into three different parts. Uh, verses one through 20 is what Pastor Daniel gave me to share. And so the first one is establishing the gospel, then establishing the church, in Ephesus, and then establishing a Christian lifestyle, a godly lifestyle. And uh, that's what we're gonna go through today, and so if you would wanna follow that direction, that'd be great. So let me start reading in Acts 19, verse number one says, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. I don't know how he found these 12 men, uh, but as he came into Ephesus, I'm sure he was looking, like he normally does for people that are related to the Lord or know something about the Lord, and so he found these 12 men, and he starts talking to them, and uh, he began to share the gospel with them uh, because he asked, you know, uh, have you received the Holy Spirit? Since you've, been, uh, since you've come into this knowledge. And they said, Holy Spirit? We don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. So he took them back and found out that they were baptized with John's baptism was the baptism of repentance. So we're gonna start there. Baptism of repentance, turning 
from sin. What is it for us to turn from sin? And I wanted to stop here just a little bit to explain this because in the church of Jesus Christ today, and I'm not just saying this church, but generally across the board, I don't hear a lot of repentance. You hear a lot about repentance? I don't hear much about repentance. And that bothers me as a pastor in that one of the first steps that we need to take is turning from our sin, turning from ourself, and turning toward God. Uh, repentance actually means I was going this way, and then God touches me, and I want to repent. And when I repent, I turn around, and I literally go the opposite direction. And that's good when we first come to Christ because we need a turnaround. We need to have new faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes I even find that people come to Christ somehow because they hear that he's a loving God, that he died on the cross for them and, and that they could have a relationship with him. And, and I've actually talked to people that have come to love Jesus that never have repented. I said, what? How is that possible? How can you come to love Jesus who came to die for our sin and yet not having anything to do with repentance? So I want to take a few minutes to talk about repentance. Is that okay? You're all in favor of that. Okay, thank you. All right, let's turn to uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 17, going back a couple chapters. It says this, with the, Paul was preaching with a sermon on, on Mars Hill. Uh, over in Athens, and he says this, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Now when he gave this message to the Athenian people, there wasn't much of a response. They just said, that sounds interesting, we'll hear you next week. And so he goes on from there. Uh, Paul is then giving a message before King Agrippa, and this is part of what he says there in Acts chapter 26. He says, I kept declaring both to those in the, of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate for repentance. And so part of his message there to, uh, to King Agrippa was, all people everywhere ought to repent. They ought to turn around and go the opposite direction. And then once you repent, sometimes there needs to be deeds that follow that repentance. And sometimes that, ha that should happen. I remember talking to one man when he came and talked to me about becoming a Christian and repenting and he is praying and, and God began to speak to his heart and he says, uh, why have you been robbing your company? And he said, robbing my company. And he had been taking things from his company without signing them out, taking them home, and using them at home. And he thought it was okay until God began to talk to him and say, why are you robbing your company? So he uh, decided what he would do is write all of that out, what he's been taking for the last months, and uh, talk to his boss. So he went back to talk to his boss, and he said, uh, I need something I need to confess to you. I've been actually stealing from the company <laughs> and I'm a Christian now and I can't do that any longer so I, I need to repay all of the stuff that I took and so I've actually listed it out here and I've got an amount of money and I want to give you the money back. And the boss says, what? <laughs> but he says, well, I guess I could either fire you for 
stealing from me or I can take the money and thank God that God changed you. <laughs> and that's what he decided to do. Uh, when we come back and make things right, things work out so much better. We sometimes get agita, if that's a good word, <laughs> about doing those kind of things. But uh, the Bible says if you come to the altar and there you're offering your gift to the Lord and God says to you, you know that brother, that sister that has something against you, you need to go back and you need to make that right with them. Wow. Get up from yourself, leave your offering, go make it right with that brother or sister, and then when that's taken care of, come back and give your offering to the Lord. That's scripture. That's what is told to us to do. So sometimes in repentance, it's that we need to do something in addition to just, Lord, would you forgive me of that? Thank you for your forgiveness, and let's go forward. Well, sometimes you need to change not only your attitude, but you need to change what you've been doing. Sometimes that has consequences that other people need to hear about. And let me tell you, when you're open and when you're vulnerable, when you're, when you're absolutely in con contact with God and you do those kind of things and you do what the scripture says, performing deeds appropriate to repentance, other people will be amazed at what you're doing. Right? It's quiet in here. That's okay. Maybe getting quieter still. All right, let's go to another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says this, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret leading to salvation. Sound good? There's a godly sorrow that he gives to us that we need to make things right in our heart and in our mind. We need to have purity on the inside. Integrity is a good word from the scripture. Integrity that everything has come together. Another scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, and as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Repentance is something that is throughout the scripture, and I know that when I came to Christ, there was a whole repentance I needed to do. I was only 17, but I remembered a whole long list of stuff I needed to repent of. It took me about 20 minutes before I accepted Christ as my savior because I had a lot of things I needed to repent of. Of course, probably you don't, but I did. And uh, so I repented of all those things and then I accepted Jesus as my savior. And since then, I've had to repent a couple other times. No, I had to repent almost daily from time to time because that's what he calls us to do. He wants to change us from glory to glory into his likeness an image. And the only way that's possible is that if he'd keep changing us, if I allow him to change me and repent of my own willful ways, repent of the things that I do, and have ears to hear what he wants me to do and how he wants me to live. And so repentance needs to become a part of our Christian life, not just pre-Christian life, but repentance every once in a while needs to take place in our life. So if you're sitting here and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you today, uh, leave your offering here and go and make things right. <laughs> and then let's come back and let's, let's continue to move forward in the things of God. And so that is the beginning of the gospel. It's repenting from sin. And I wish I could say when you be, repent and you come to Jesus that your sins are washed away and you never have to repent again. But that's probably not very true. 
we are human beings and we still have a lot to think about about ourselves and the way that we want to live and God wants to change us. And so those changes need to happen. That sound good? So the first part of the gospel is repentance. The second part is believing in Jesus. That means accepting him as my personal savior, having faith in him, that somehow my eyes need to be opened and see that I can't do anything about my sin. I have to have help. And so Jesus came and offered himself as a sacrifice for us that we might be forgiven through what he did on the cross for us. Later on today, in this service, we're going to have what we call communion. And we're gonna remember him whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, that we might be forgiven our sin. And so the second step is one from repentance is we might come to salvation in Jesus Christ and acknowledge him. And when you do that, the next thing that happens is you need to die to yourself. Hallelujah. Isn't that a great thing to do? And that's explained in baptism. When people come to Christ, having been repentant, then they come and they need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And we encourage people to do that. On the first, actually it's gonna be the second Sunday of January, we're gonna have a class for baptism and then at the end of January we're gonna baptize people again. If you've received Christ as your savior and you haven't yet been baptized in Jesus' name, that's the next step for you. I remember when I was 17 when I gave my life to the Lord and uh, I graduated from high school that, that next year and then I worked another year and God called me to Bible school and so I'm already two years plus into my Christian experience and uh, I'm sitting in not only Bible school but going to church on a Sunday night and the pastor began to preach about baptism in Jesus' name. I'm sitting there as a college student preparing for some kind of ministry. I really didn't know what it was, but I was following the Lord. And here I'm sitting there saying, I haven't been baptized. I better go sign up. <laughs> and so I did. Uh, I went up, signed up, and the next month I was baptized. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've repented and you've accepted Jesus as your savior, but you've never followed on into the waters of baptism. There's nothing that will convince you more than baptism that you are a dead person. Selah, think about that. <laughs> it's no longer I'm living my life for myself, the word of God says, but Christ is alive in me, living his life through me. And that is expressed beautifully with water, water baptism. When you go into the waters of baptism and we put you into the grave, kind of identifying yourself with Jesus Christ, and then if we're faithful to you and to God, we'll bring you back up, uh, and uh, you would have been buried in Jesus' name. And wonderful things come out of that. I've seen all kinds of things come out of water baptism that people weren't even expecting to come out because it's a step in the right direction following the fullness of what God has called us to do. On the day of Pentecost, uh, they needed to be baptized. And uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But that's the next step after receiving Christ as Savior. So if you haven't signed up for that yet and you're not baptized, let me encourage you. Take that next step. It will be good for your spirit, for your soul. It will be good for everything that God is doing in your life. And then the last thing in establishing the gospel is being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
with some kind of evidence that the scripture talks about. And so let me give you some scriptures here and, and uh, we'll spend a little time here as well. Acts 1.8, Jesus is about ready to ascend into heaven. He's already done his work on the cross. He's gathered his disciples together and he's talking to them and he says in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now everybody knows that before uh, Christ dying on the cross and before his ascension, they were a little bit powerless. And so he says, things are gonna happen after I ascend into heaven. So I want you to go and wait for the power to come upon you. And then it goes on and says at the end of, I mean, the beginning of, of Peter's sermon, Acts chapter two and verse four, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. That's the day of Pentecost. They were waiting for the promise of the Father. I don't know what they expected what they thought about but here they are 120 of them gathered in the upper room and all of a sudden the wind begins to blow tongues of fire appear on their heads and they start speaking different languages would it be like to have been there that day i would have i i would have loved to see that what is going on and it was so loud that the people out in the street heard them and they said What's going on with these disciples? We know that they're crazy, but this sounds even worse than before. Uh, so they started gathering outside. Finally, the disciples come down and Peter opens his heart and begins to share with them uh, that this is the Holy Spirit. And he talks to them about what all God has done for them. And it's a great sermon. If you haven't read it lately, read Acts chapter number two and you'll see his sermon there. Uh, he was filled with power. And for maybe one of the first times, Peter begins to explain things with clarity. So clear that it says at the end of his sermon that people begin to be pierced through to the heart and they begin to say to Peter, wow, what should we do? Here's his response in Acts chapter two and verse 38. Peter said unto them, repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that day, it says 3,000 people responded to Jesus, received him as their savior, went through the waters of baptism, and were filled with the Holy Spirit. That sound an exciting meeting to you? It does to me. That's another situation that I'd love to at least have a camera going on so I could see what took place. Uh, I would love to see that. Uh, one day in heaven, we will. Anyway, <clears throat> he goes on from there. And uh, there's other situations. Let me just share a few of them with you. Philip had gone up to Samaria. There was persecution in Jerusalem. And so many of the people started leaving. Well, he went up to Samaria, began preaching the gospel, had a great time preaching the gospel. People were healed, people were set free from demons. Uh, there was amazing things that began to happen. And Peter and John and the other apostles down in Jerusalem heard about that. And so they sent Peter and John up to make sure everything is going okay. Because they weren't sure how Philip was handling this whole revival thing. And this is what it says in Acts chapter eight, verse 14 through 17. Peter and John prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So there was that next step that needed to happen and Peter and John 
as the apostles came up and they made sure that all of the things were happening that should be happening. Over in Acts chapter 10, finally we're getting like three, three and a half years after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, a man by the name of Cornelius, who wasn't a Jew, began to pray before God. And God says, send for Peter. He's gonna come and tell you some things that I want you to know. And so they sent for Peter. Peter sees these three guys coming to his house and uh, you're not Jewish, are you? I don't know if I ought to go with you or not. (laughs) Because everything up to that time was all done to Jewish people. But Cornelius had sent for him and so he went with a few of his brethren and he went to Cornelius' house. And he felt a little uncomfortable being there because he had never been in that situation. But he opened his heart, opened his mouth, and began to preach to them. And uh, as he was preaching to them, listen to this. <clears throat> it says over in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 and 46, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who were listening to the message, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So here Peter's preaching. Here's the Gentiles. He's not comfortable being there in the first place. And all of a sudden, he and his friends hear them experiencing the same things that they did back on the day of Pentecost and since then. And so Peter kind of shrugs his shoulder and says, what do you think? Should we baptize these people? I mean, we haven't even laid hands on them. And they're experiencing what we've experienced. And so they baptize that group in his house in the name of the Lord Jesus, after they had already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting how these things happen. I don't know how it's happened in your life. I remember when I was 17, I accepted Christ as my savior. And then my friend said, we're gonna go away to some of the uh, Rocky Mountains. We're gonna have a camp up there for young people. You ought to come and go with us. And so uh, I thought, well, maybe I should go. And I think it was the second, maybe even the third night Uh, The evangelist was there, was preaching about the power of the Holy Spirit and about receiving Christ and about moving on and the things that God had for us. And so me being an open, young person, wanting to have everything that God had for me, I went forward for prayer that night and I was praying and I, I sensed the peace of God, the grace of God, the blessings of God and I thought everything's fine. Until the next morning, we were in a class Uh, talking to the evangelist, and one of my friends asked, can you receive the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? And without hesitation, he said, no. If you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be speaking in tongues. I'm sitting there in that class, and I said, what happened to me? I didn't speak in any tongues. I didn't experience that at all. The rest of the camp was a downer for me. Uh, I played baseball and whatever else we were doing athletically, but when it came to the meetings at night, I didn't know what to do because I didn't experience what I was supposed to experience. When I went home, I made an appointment with my pastor and he had been at that camp too, and I said, I don't know what to do because I was supposed to evidently speak in tongues or prophesy or do something. I didn't do any of that. He says, well, I was behind you and I laid hands on you and I was praying for you, and I know that there was the presence of God there, I said, yeah, but I didn't speak in tongues. He said, that's okay, uh, it'll come sometime. That wasn't a good word for me. 
What's the matter with me? Why, why isn't this happening in my life? It's supposed to happen, then it should happen. And I just struggled with that. Two and a half, three months later, this same evangelist that spoke at the camp came to our church, and we had meetings from Monday night, Tuesday night, all the way through the week, and, and Sunday night. So I thought, okay, here's my opportunity with this same evangelist to receive the Holy Spirit. So I went forward on Monday night, and Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, and every night I was at the altar. I prayed for an hour and a half, two hours every night. What's going on, God? Finally on Sunday night, I don't know why, but the evangelist, in his last opportunity there, he said, now, I want you to listen to me. I only want those that are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit to come forward tonight. And I heard that, but something of faith went off on the, on, on the inside of me. And so I, I want to respond to that. And so I got out of my chair and I didn't go to the altar. I didn't, I, I didn't even stop uh, at the chair that I normally prayed at, but I went all the way where the choir was. I don't know why I did all that. I don't know, just did. And when my knees touched the carpet by the choir benches, I had these strange words coming out of my mind. I said, this is weird. But I began to say those strange things. And the more that I said what I was being given to say, the better I felt. And I said, this must be what they're talking about. I didn't know what to expect, but I had these words coming and I began to say them in prayer, I began to say them. It wasn't a whole vocabulary, it was a, a few words that God gave to me, but that was sufficient for me. It was like I got saved all over again. <laughs> it was just the fullness of what God had given to me. And since then, I've learned how to expand that language and learn how to pray in tongues before the Lord. And sometimes the best times in prayer haven't been when I've been asking God for something or declaring who God is in my life, but praying in a language that I don't even understand, knowing that I'm praying the will of God in such a way that I've never been able to pray before. And he does something immediately out of that. I can trace how he, how he leads me and how he guides me out of those times when I don't even know what I'm praying. Anyway, I wanted to share that with you today because that's a culmination of the gospel that Peter and Paul and all of the disciples shared with everybody else. So I've got a bunch of other scriptures here, but I'm not gonna take time to go through them, but I have them listed on the board here. Romans chapter eight, verses 26 and 27. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. And then in 2 Corinthians, chapters 12 and 13 and 14 are, are directions for the church how to use this gift, how to function in this gift, as well as some of the other gifts. And uh, I begin to read that and begin to understand a little bit. And then Galatians 5, 16, and then Ephesians, where we're at in 5.18, you know what that says? You can look there because you're close anyway. <clears throat> it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so these are just a few that I thought if you'd wanna take down, look up some more on the Holy Spirit, do so. And let me tell you, life has been given through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit has come to disclose to us everything that Jesus accomplished for us. And so here's the fullness. It comes out of the gifting of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if you have other questions about that, I'd be glad to talk to you anytime. And then out of establishing the gospel, which is what Paul did here in Ephesus, the next few verses are establishing the church. And like most of the, of the apostles, they went to the synagogue first. So verse number eight says, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some, of, some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people, he, Paul, withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. says, this took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So here's the second aspect of what's going on in this chapter is that he comes to Ephesus. They didn't even understand what the Holy Spirit was. He preached the gospel to them. They received Christ, was baptized, repented of their sins, and were filled with the Holy Spirit, at least these 12. And then he goes into the synagogue to establish a group of people, which we call the church, gathering together. And after three months, there was some kind of an uproar in the midst of the Jewish sector, and they said some didn't like it, and others did, and so he just went next door to the school of Tyrannus, and there he daily was sharing the gospel for the next two years. If we opened a church for the next two years and said we're gonna have daily meetings here, how many would come? One, two, well, not, not bad, a beginning. We would die if we had to come to church every Sunday. I mean, every day of the week. I mean, we have Sunday services, and most people are content and happy to at least come on Sunday. Then we have Tuesday night prayer meeting, and that used to be Pastor Carl's favorite time of getting the church together to pray and moving forward in the, in the spirit of God, and I think that's Daniel's desire as well. That's why we opened up first Tuesday and we have a special guest or a special message coming on that. And we double and triple and sometimes quadruple on that first Sunday what normally comes together for prayer. That's not a bad thing, but what we want to do is increase that. And it's been increasing on Tuesday nights. And we encourage you to come and be a part of that. And some of you say, well, I'm busy. Well, what did these people do when they came daily? I mean, he was there every day talking about the kingdom of God, persuading people, teaching them about the kingdom of God. That means that there was some hunger within them. And you only hear once in a while. Years ago, I remember coming up with Pastor Carl, we drove all the way to Toronto, Canada, because they were having meetings every day. The spirit of God was being poured out in that place. And then a few months later, down in Brownsville, Texas, there was another revival that took place and people were coming every day to hear the word of the Lord. We thought we'd at least go check that out because we hadn't been a part of that. And we wanted to find out what's God saying, what God's doing. When the spirit of God is set free, our time is kind of evaporated into what God is saying and doing. Let me tell you, if we saw healings every Tuesday night, probably most of you would be here. In fact, you'd probably tell somebody else that it ought to come, especially anybody that was sick. I mean, if healings are taking place in this place as we pray to God, and that's what we trust will happen. 
We're believing that God's going to do real things when we come together. He's going to pour out his spirit in our midst, and we're going to experience healings. I mean, up in, up in, the, up in Samaria, they, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, and yet they were still seeing healings. They were still seeing deliverance. They were seeing amazing things happen through Philip and what he was sharing. And so let's pray for Tuesday night. Let's pray for Sunday mornings. Let's believe that God's going to start doing something. You know, I used to, and I still do once in a while, but not as much as I should. I start praying on Saturday for what God wants to do on Sunday. Looking ahead for what he's going to do in my family, looking together what he's going to do with people I've been talking to and counseling with, looking for what God is going to do and moving in on us by his blessings and by his Holy Spirit. That sound good? Do we want to come and hear from God? Is that what we're here for? Or is it just a religious activity that we get involved in? That's Sunday morning, I guess I ought to go to church. Well, maybe you ought to do something more than just go to church. <laughs> maybe you ought to ask God, what does he want to say to me? And I'd love it if we put somebody at the end of the exits when you leave and just write down what God did for you when you came to church. That'd be okay. But when we leave, we have to give a report as to what God said to us. Hallelujah. Some of you are saying, I don't know if I want to come back to this church or not. <laughs> They're going to test me on how God's speaking to me. We don't want to test you. We want to find out how God is moving in your life. We want you to be a blessing, not only here, but we want you to be a blessing to your family and wherever you go in Rockland County, other people need to know what God is saying and doing in your life, right? Hallelujah. All right, I don't want to get too sidetracked here. Establishing the church. (laughs) So he entered the synagogue. He was there for three months. They didn't want to listen, so he took everybody to the school next door. In verse 9, he said that some of them were becoming hardened and disobedient, He had to leave, and he began to reason daily in this school. And then further in verse 10, it says, it took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. How did that happen? All who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Obviously, Paul didn't go and talk to everybody in Asia. But he daily was explaining the word of God in such a way that people came, experienced God, and then they went back home, they went to their workplaces, they went out and talked to people, and they told them what God was doing with them. So, how long is it going to take for us to touch all of Rockland County? Hallelujah. Isn't that exciting? God says something to us, does something in our lives so powerful that we can't keep it to ourselves. When we go out into the workplace, when we go out to to encounter people, we share with them what God's doing here at Grace Point. Not that Grace Point is the thing, but God is the thing, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. It's what God is saying, what God is doing. How did all of the people in Asia hear what God was doing? It obviously was more than Paul. It was the people listening to Paul, the people that were receiving life from Paul, and the Holy Spirit, they went out and they talked to other people. So who are you gonna talk to this week? How are you gonna share the gospel with them? We had two girls in in Brooklyn, just been born again like a month and a half, two months. 
and they were working in the same bank, and so they decided they'd pray together about the people they work with. And so they would pray Monday through, I mean Monday through Wednesday, and they would pray for one particular person. On Thursday, they would invite that person or those couple of people out to lunch. So they'd take them to lunch, and they'd share what God had done in their life over lunch, and then they'd invite them to come to church with them. And they saw person after person after person receive Jesus and come to know the Lord. Intentionality. That's what I want to share with you, intentionality. What does God want to do in and through your life to other people you come into contact with? It can't be Pastor Daniel saving Rockland County. It won't happen. It won't happen with all of our pastors or on staff sharing all kinds of good things. It'll only happen as we, the church, go out and share the good news. And as you do that, things will happen. I remember when uh, <clears throat> one guy came from uh, Home Depot and uh, he said that he had about 11 people tell him about Grace Point, what God was doing at Grace Point and in their lives. And so he came to check out Grace Point. 11 people it took for him to get here the first time. <laughs> I don't know how God works, but sometimes the first time. God is wanting to reach out to the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why he saved us, so that we would no longer just be concerned about our life, but we'd be concerned about what God's doing in the community, what God's doing in my family, what God's doing in the workplace, what he's doing in, in people who live next door to me. All of that thing concerns God. Hallelujah. And so daily he was sharing the word, but it wasn't Paul doing that. It was the people that were listening to the word of Paul. They went out and for two years did amazing things. So we come to the third part of this message. Aren't you glad we at least got to the third part? Okay. Third part is living a godly life. And so verses 11 through 20, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he starts out there, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, and then people would come and take his handkerchief and his, and his uh, aprons. He was working while he was preaching. That's what Paul did. And they would take his handkerchief and they'd take his apron off of him and they'd go and lay those on people that were sick and demon-possessed and they saw people healed and people released into freedom. I don't know if Daniel would appreciate coming, taking his jacket or whatever off. But uh, the word needs to get out. The word needs to go. And that's what they were doing with Paul. <clears throat> and so uh, they carried these things to the sick and the diseased. And when that happened, other people wanted to get in on this. So the next verses 13 through 16, I'm not going to read that, but some Jewish people that were practicing exorcism. They were having a little difficulty because most people that don't know the Lord have a problem exercising people. And so they had heard about Jesus and they had heard about Paul. So they got seven sons of Sceva, went to this one guy and said, we want to deliver you. And so they were encouraging him to be delivered. And the man who was filled with the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but the other Spirit, said, now Jesus I know and Paul I've heard about. I don't know who you are. And he rose up and he fought against them till all seven sons of Sceva had to run away, it says, naked and wounded. One guy took all seven of them on. I don't think they probably did that again uh, because that didn't work out very well. But it did something good to the church. Look down at verse 17. This became known to all. 
both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. When we hear something that isn't true, isn't in relationship with God, and bad things happen, well, let's go to that which is good. Many, it says in verse 18, also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. Many who had believed kept coming and were disclosing their practices and confessing. Now, as I mentioned before in, in, forgive, in actually repenting, repentance becomes a way of living if you're a Christian. And when they heard the things that were happening that were false and people being actually hurt by evil spirits, fear fell in them. Not fear of, but the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's respect of God and what he is doing and how he can do what he can do. The fear of the Lord is a good thing and don't have time this morning. It's a whole sermon on its own. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. And when you fear God in the right way, things begin to happen. I don't know about you, but when I remember from time to time things that I'm not doing right, I need to make a confession. And I need to do something different. I need to turn around and do something different than I hadn't been doing. It says here in the next verse that they brought so many books that it ended up being 50,000 people's pieces of silver worth. And I looked that up and said, how much money is that? Between 300,000 and over a million is what I found out. This is given from people who genuinely joined Jesus Christ in the church. Now they're living was starting to change. I don't know how many people have come into Christianity and their life really is insignificantly changed. Just keep doing the same thing, but I go to church on Sunday. No, that isn't how it works. The Bible says he's changing us from glory to glory into his likeness and into his image. That's what he's doing, from glory to glory. So my question to you this morning is, when was your last glory? I have to pause with that. Selah, think about this. When was your last experience with God? Hallelujah. I hope it was this week as you opened the word and you daily let God speak to you and all of a sudden your eyes were opened to something that you'd never seen before. That's the glory of God coming into our life to give us direction, to give us purpose, to give us his plan. And with that sometimes comes change in our lives. I remember one woman who came for baptism and she had 40 different wigs. And so when she came for baptism, I was talking to her about her many wigs. Because she'd come in the door and I didn't know if we had a new person or whether I needed to figure out it was the same person with a different wig. And so I was hoping that God would say, put away your wigs and let's see who you really are. So in baptism, I was talking to her, and I, I said, you know, she said, I prayed about wearing my wigs. And I thought, oh, good. And uh, she said to me, God says I can keep them all, wear, wear them whenever I want to. <laughs> my heart sunk. And uh, You see, I'm different than God. God speaks to people individually. And he may want you to keep some stuff, and he may want you to get rid of some stuff. I don't know what you've been doing on Facebook. I don't know what you do with all the social media, but most of it, I think, is from the pit of hell. Just to be a little serious. 
I think we need to guard our children from what they watch, what they look at. I think we need to guard our own hearts sometimes and our own eyes as to what we look at and as what we in, in take into our own hearts. I think there needs to be a change of that. That's what happened with these people. They began to fear God and, and want more of God in their life to the point they were willing to get rid of their books and their magazines. And it was worth up to a million dollars or more. Wow, I guess that's revival. <laughs> when God touches our heart, we begin to confess the right things. We begin to give to him whatever he wants. Things begin to happen. And so let me close with the 20th verse. We finally got here. It says, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Now I think you get to the end of this, so many great things happen. You ought to say, man, the Apostle Paul, he did a great job in Ephesus. That isn't what it says. Or the church grew and look at the church and the people and how many there were that were responding to Jesus. And that isn't what it says. Or there were so many healings and so many wonderful things happening. We ought to, we ought to write a list of all of these things. That isn't what it says. It says the word of the Lord grew mightily. That's the conclusion. It's not what God is doing even in this individually if it isn't the word of the Lord. I don't know how often you open your Bibles. I know that from the time that I got saved, I was told you need to read this every day. This is better than the newspaper. It'll tell you a lot more about your life, how, what you need to do and how you need to live if you'll just open it and read it and let God speak to you. And let me tell you the best times of my Christian experience is when I've opened the Bible and I begin to read and God shows me something that I'd never seen before. Oh, thank you, Lord. This is wonderful. And it's out of those times that I continue to see my life growing and developing in the way that he wants me to grow and develop. I share this with you today because this is a chapter I was given from Pastor Daniel. And so you can blame him for everything I'm saying to you, okay? But let me tell you, this is so important. The gospel for us to understand the wholeness of it. The fact that he's brought us into the church and, and we're a part of what God is doing here in, in, in this county as the people of God. It's so important for us to be a part of that and fellowship together and know that. And then lastly, that our lifestyle would match up with everything that God gives us in the word. He wants us to receive that and to be changed from glory to glory in all that he has for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you've brought everyone into this room this morning the way that you wanted them to come. And Lord, you've spoken to them by your Holy Spirit. I, I pray that and I believe that that's what's happening. And so God, the things you wanna do in people's lives, let it not just be a message that's forgotten, but let them, as they go, trust you, believe you, grow in you, and allow the word of God to do a work in their lives that nothing else can do. I pray, Lord God, just the release of your spirit, a release of you speaking to us and directing us in a way that only you can. We need you, Lord. We need your direction. We need your help. We need your guidance. And so we turn to you and thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We're going to share communion together in a minute, but stand together as we sing. Open your heart to God. Let him say to you what he wants to say. Thank you.